0: The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. mai ki elhorihori, he hōtaka e a papatuanuku tangaroa me ranginui. You're with our changing world on RNZ National, and now a helping hand for native fish. It's white-bait season and, all around the country, tiny fish, the juveniles of five species of Galaxid fish, are running a gauntlet. But even assuming they make it past the white-bait nets at the mouth of the river, they'll face many more obstacles as they swim upstream. The problem is particularly bad if the stream is in an urban area where all sorts of artificial barriers get in the way. But in Hamilton, the fish have friends at the regional council who are doing their best to provide fish passages to help the scaly commuters past those blockages. I catch up with Bruno David at a stream that's channelled through a large culvert under a road, and he begins by pointing out that some of our native fish have some very handy skills.
1: So some of our fish can climb really well as juveniles. We sort of talk about them as having um, either two-wheel drive or four-wheel drive, so some of the ones that have... Four wheel drive, some of them almost have six wheel drive. So you have these fish like Kawara, which can scale vertical waterfalls 20 meters high, no problems. Far
0: yeah. <laughs> so
1: they use their oversized pectoral fins, kind of like sucker discs, if you like, and they they sort of, almost like geckos, Sucks walk on their up. way up yeah, the, the waterfall. Fantastic. And, and use water tension. And, yeah. and they've sort of evolved that ability, because as you can see the fish there rising, Yeah, they've evolved that ability really to occupy many of New Zealand's very steep mountainous type of streams. So being an island country with very steep topographies, A lot of the fish have evolved to be able to move through that riverscape and occupy these really high-gradient areas. And and as a result, you find that amongst the the native fish fauna, you have varying levels, if you like, of climbing capability. So the ones that can climb the best, you find furthest inland, and the ones that are a little bit more lazy, you tend to find further down. And And this is how they all segregate out.
0: But even waterfall-climbing Kuaro struggle with the obstacles that city engineers create as they pipe urban streams under roads and through suburbia.
1: Things like culverts that constrain fish passage, they uh, very long pipes and weirs that are put in for calculating flows and all these sorts of things, they're all impediments in the riverscape and um, One way to get fish past some of these obstacles is to put things like baffles um, into these pipes and that creates disturbance of flow so that the fish can pick the little resting points along as they try to go up. It's kind of like if you tried to swim in a river against the current, if you don't have anything to rest behind or hide behind, you soon run out of energy. And it's the same for a fish. So they need rocks or something on the bed that they can get out of the flow to give themselves a rest as they move upstream. If you've got enough room to get into the culverts and things, you can put these things like baffles in there or um, you can even dyno bolt rocks or bits of wood into the base of culverts just to get that complex flow to allow the fish to find its own way. But often in in urban areas, we have long tracts of pipe networks where you you can't physically get into those pipes. And so one of the things that we've been playing around with um, in various lab trials and out in the field is using muscle spat ropes which line the bottom of the culvert from one end to the other to help fish to be able to sit underneath the ropes and move their way through. So
0: So you basically tie them at one end of the culvert and they just drape through the culvert?
1: Yeah, and you tie them at the other end. And what they basically do is they provide sort of a resting point in the bottom curve of the culvert and you can do things like tie knots in them and that creates those miniature boulder resting points if you like and you can put two three four lines down one of the things that seems to be very advantageous about that is that they don't take up a lot of culvert capacity so when you put in something like a baffle and the water hits it it kind of retards the water a lot But things like ropes, um, the water flows around and over it and so the engineers don't freak out and if you need to clean them, you can drag them back out and then float them back through again. And so it provides a mechanism in places where you haven't got access to put these other things to actually um, address some very, very long culverts. So, you know, there's no reason why you couldn't put ropes through 300, 400-metre-long pipes and get fish like banded cockapoo to be able to get right through there. So... It's, a, I guess, an alternative solution to dealing with existing infrastructure to help reconnect those river networks.
0: Where did the idea come from? What, what inspired you to think about using a rope?
1: <laughs> the original idea actually came um, when we were doing a little field trip on the east coast when we saw fish climbing up through the roots of the Putakawa trees um, where we saw elvers, small eels and small whitebait actually climbing up through the root mats. So we originally applied these to perched culverts
0: Perch culvert is one that hangs out.
1: Yeah, so it's a culvert that might have been put in at riverbed level once upon a time, but because it it concentrates the flow of water from the river through a small opening, what often tends to happen is it'll push through out the other side with all that energy and it'll scour out this downstream bed. And as a result of doing that, the pipe ends up sticking out in the air and the stream bed gets lower. So yeah... For climbing fish, you can actually drape them down and they can climb up through those ropes.
0: And you tested this in the lab?
1: Uh, yeah, we tested this in the lab originally. Um, and then when we saw that the whitebait were, were able to climb it relatively easily, we then put them into some real streams with some higher perches and we recorded the the recovery of the fish in those streams. So it certainly works for climbing fish, but if you've got fish that would normally be in that catchment that can't climb then it's not the right solution. You have to look at more like fish ladders or these other sorts of devices that help these swimming fish get past. But in some cases, you know, if the fish can climb, you can exploit that ability. And, in fact, in some places you can exploit that to good good use because a lot of the invasive fish that we have can't climb. So you can make it a selective barrier, if you like, just for the native fish to have their little area of solitude above, if you like.
0: Yeah, because introduced fish, the trout... are. Uh... Another issue altogether for our native fish, aren't they?
1: Yeah, salmonids, trout, uh, it's, it, they're, an interesting, they're an interesting fish because on one hand they're reasonably sensitive to water quality, so they, they, they are indicative of reasonable river health, but for non-migratory fish in a lot of cases they they can eat those fish and they can cause biodiversity decline. So in the wrong places they can do a lot of damage, but they can also be an ally in terms of trying to fight for water quality in, in other cases. In the Waikato, we have a huge number of other invasive fish here. We have koi carp, which have a, a totally different impact. They're not a direct predator on our native fish, but they'll chew away at banks and they'll resuspend sediment and do all these other sorts of things. And we've got things like brown bullhead catfish from North America, which they pretty much gobble up everything and directly compete with species like eels. We have things like rudd gambusia, or previously known as mosquito fish but we don't call them mosquito fish we call them gambusia so that people don't use them to control mosquitoes because they have huge biodiversity impacts as well and so they're the sort of fish that you don't want to get into a lot of places where your native fish are so in situations where you can exploit that climbing behavior it's a good idea to try and keep those other ones out and and it's certainly a consideration when you're trying to apply passage to for other fish as to um is to be aware of invasive fish. In fact, I think that might be a koi carp just under the surface over there. If you can see that orange shape sitting nice. on the surface. Up to here, they've got really good access coming in from the Waikato River, which is just down over here. So mm. you do get invasive fish in this lower part, but there's also giant cockapoo down in here. So we need to be a little bit more aware of the things that we do on land and the impacts it has on rivers because water and rivers, are you know, they're essential for people to survive and... It's a very, very valuable resource that we should be looking after a lot better than what we are, I think.
0: And recognising that, freshwater fish are an important part of our urban biodiversity.
1: That's right, and you know, we've got a very, very high level of endemism. So these are basically fish that aren't found anywhere else in the world. They're really, really unique. A lot of people don't really know about them very much. Uh, More than two thirds of them are listed as in decline or worse. There's no legal protection for them. In fact, you're allowed to harvest them as white bait as many as you like, no limit on quantity, and in fact, surprisingly, um, you can sell them. But it's not actually a commercial fishery, so not really in the interests of trying to preserve our native biodiversity. I'm not against people recreationally white baiting, but being able to so
0: selling them is a different matter.
1: It is when four out of the five are listed as threatened. Some of these have the same threat ranking as kiwi. They're an important part of our biodiversity and we should be more cognizant of the fact that they also give us a good indication of of how we're doing in terms of our stewardship of rivers.
0: That was Bruno David from the Waikato Regional Council. Bruno has been on Our Changing World before, talking about fish houses, think kokopu condos and tuna townhouses, and also about pest fish and making good use of bad koi carp. You'll find links to those stories and others